You're listening to to the Show We Go Baseball podcast. going on everybody welcome into episode 23 of to the show we go featuring ed hand and myself andrew parker uh so we today's episode we have our fourth boston media member i'll say that ed uh our fourth member of the boston media we've had on so far we've had uh rob bradford we've had christopher smith and we've had lou merloni on so far in, in previous episodes. So if you have not checked those out, please go back and listen to those. Uh, today, we have uh, actually, I got to meet uh, our guest to, um, what was it? I guess a few months back in Worcester. Um, very nice guy and new to the beat this past year for the Red Sox, Max Rillo. I hope I said your last name correct. You uh, got it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it was great meeting both of you guys in Worcester. Uh, you know, a lot of fun. Um, but you know, yeah, it's, uh, I think a small correction. I, I, uh, first year with the Herald, uh, did, oh, yeah, yeah. was with the, the Eagle Tribune beforehand, but you know, it's, uh, this was a pretty, uh, pretty awesome, awesome year. And well, I mean, you know, the team, the team could have been better, I guess, but you know, great, great time kind of getting a chance to, you know, dive into that whole world, I guess, you know, before yeah. we go into the full Red Sox stuff, I do have to say something about uh, what I got to meet you in person, Mac. Um, and I, I, I'm sure you, you recall this. We ended up uh, talking a bunch about uh, the uh, UConn basketball team and going up for um, to, for the for the excellent buffet that they have at Polar Park. But I was informed right after um, like we finished eating that Hyam Bloom was down there that day, and everybody got to say hello to him. Everybody got to talk to him. But we had gone upstairs to eat and I, I thought to myself you know what it's fine I, I i got to hang out with mac that was pretty awesome i'll get to you know i'll get to i'll get to meet high and bloom a different time i'll get to say happy passover high and bloom this was i think uh because if you recall I, I i i fast for passover so i was i had all the taco meat with no taco uh <laughs> but i was like already i was like oh i'll go i'll get i'll get another chance to say that to him and then he got let go so that's uh high and bloom I, you know, I, I, I hung out with Max Arolo instead of meeting Haim Bloom and I don't regret it. You know, you know what I, I will say with Haim, you know, he obviously has his detractors, but uh, you know, everybody on the B would agree. One of the nicest guys, super accessible, super, uh, you know, accountable, you know, he, he was, he was, uh, he was, he was great to work with. Um, you know, obviously yeah, I like, you know, the, you know, the, the job performance wasn't what, what, what it was, but, uh, you know, it was whatever that you'll, I'm sure you, maybe you'll get a chance to cross paths with him or maybe you'll see Craig Breslow. Maybe that's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of see, but, uh, yeah, that's funny that, that I remember that now that was like back in like what May it was, a June? it was like early May, late, late April. It, yeah, was, it, was little... it was pretty early in the season. Cause it was before Duran got brought up because I remember, right. oh, the, yeah, I remember must, this really well. Must have been like you, we Duran. I was always too nervous to talk to Duran. He just has kind of like this intimidating vibe about him. And you were like, "Well, I've got to actually talk to him for this story, so I'm just going to go and do it." And I remember you going up to him and him being like, "Well, can you do it tomorrow?" And you were like, "I am here today, and that's it." And he was like, "Well, okay." Yeah, Jaren's cool. Yeah, Jaren. I I know what you mean, but Jaren Jaren's you know he's he's a good dude. Well, um, 
obviously I had a uh, a good experience meeting you this year as well, and I did actually get to meet Heim Bloom throughout the season. Um, and so I, I was not eating with Mac when I got to meet him. So uh, I thought he was a pleasure to deal with. But uh, Mac, before we jump into some of the baseball stuff, I, I just wanted to ask, how is the uh, the off season treating you? You know, it's funny. It's like we're about a month in and it's like been super boring. <laughs> you know, there's just, uh, you know, while the playoffs are going on, when with, as far as the Red Sox go, there really isn't that much kind of just, you know, we're, we're sort of kind of in a holding pattern waiting for things to start happening. And obviously the, the Craig Breslow, uh, you know, the hiring process that led to Craig Breslow's hire is kind of the only show in town. So, you know, a lot of chasing leads, a lot of people not answering texts, a lot of people answering texts and being like, uh, you know, kind of, you know, to varying degree, you know, it's, it's a tough, that's a tough story, you know? So uh, I was very grateful, uh, you know, once that news broke, cause then it's like, okay, cool. Like that, that's over with now we can, you know, the world series, it could, the world series could be over tonight. Right. You know, it's a couple hours from now. And if that's the case, then, uh, you know, ball game, game on, you know, the, a lot of things are going to start happening very quickly starting the day after the world series ends. And I suspect that, from this point on, it'll start to get a lot more interesting. Yeah, and uh, I think we were we were kind of talking with Chris Smith a few episodes back, and uh, I wanted to ask you the same thing. I, I didn't know if you had gotten tired of uh, just kind of formulating your mind, okay, I need to write about the Red Sox are interested in this guy for the CBO position. This guy turned it down. This guy said no to the interview or whoever. Like, did you did you get did it get tiring for you? Yeah, you know, I I think it was um, it would have been a little bit more fun if there was just like something a little bit more variety. But it was, you, you guys know how it all played out. It's it was kind of all consuming, and uh, I, I personally I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Craig actually does, what kind of uh, chief baseball officer he proves to be. You know, we've all gotten into sort of this routine of the Red Sox operate a certain way because that's how Bloom did things. And that's how Fenway sports group has done things. And it's very exciting to me that all those old preconceived notions, we can throw them all out the window. We have no idea what's going to happen. The next couple of weeks could be insane or it could be more of the same, but like it's refreshing to kind of go into an off season where it really feels like anything is possible. And it's been a while, I think since we could really say that that's been the case. Yeah, the blank slate is uh it, it's been a much more peaceful time I will say on the on the Twitter sphere in uh in social media in general with the Red Sox you're not seeing quite as much uh anger but there's that doesn't mean that there aren't storylines that are coming up um you know the search for pitching is a pretty like that that's been something that's been focused on a lot the team needs a second baseman potentially they need they definitely need some right-handed power in the lineup it's a lot of lefties there's you know um guys like alex verdugo maybe he gets traded maybe he doesn't what storyline do you find the most compelling and are you the most looking forward to covering um for me it's the pitching um fascinated to see who they target who they go and get who they try to go and get and whether it's just they throw a bunch of money at a few free agents or if they get creative and get some swing, some big trades. Um, I, I'm on record of of the opinion that I think the Red Sox need two starting pitchers at yeah. least. Um, you know, I think we've seen 
for too long, this team has tried to patch together lottery tickets and be like, well, you know, if James Paxson hits and if Chris Sale's healthy and if Garrett Whitlock does his thing and Tanner Houck, you know, we've been kind of counting on, you know, unproven commodities or unreliable commodities to varying degrees for for years now. Let's let's just call it like call it like it is. There, there's been a lot of kind of crossing your fingers, and this team can't keep living like that. They need to go out and get some proven guys who can stay healthy, who can pitch lots of innings, who you can count on to go out there and pitch. That's something this team badly needs, and at some you know it's obvious that it's not coming from within at least not soon enough brian bayo has been awesome an incredible success story but he's not enough they need more so for me that's the key uh, nothing else matters if they can't pitch and this is if there's ever an off season to go out and get some pitching this is it so um it's, it's unbelievable how much talent is available so very excited to sort of see uh how craig breslow goes about dealing with that yeah, it's it's very interesting the pitching that's available. Um, because most other positions there isn't really it's not a particularly deep class. But you know, like um a guy like uh, Yamamoto is, is not somebody that hits free agency. Often a twenty five year old who is, as far as talent goes, elite. Um, a guy like you know Blake Snell might be the NL Cy Young Award. He's available. Um, Aaron Nola. You know, the there's the 2021 team for the Red Sox. They had two things that we haven't really seen since, and that's elite pitching at the top of the rotation. They had Eddie Rodriguez, who is a free agent this year in Detroit, and they had Nathan Eofaldi. They haven't had a combination like that that can carry them in a, in a series since. You can say what you want about Sale when he was firing on all cylinders. You can say what you want about Bayo. He's... Yeah, he's had his moments, but they haven't had those consistent workhorses. If you had to pick two, and it could be free agents, it could be guys maybe that are available in trades, like Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber, somebody like that, which two starting pitchers would be your top two for them to acquire? Um, well, one for sure is Yamamoto. I mean, <laughs> you, you said you said it yourself. Like, you, you do not see a talent like that hit free agency at that age too often. The Red Sox ownership has been on record of being like, we really like to get these guys locked up long term, young, because you know if you got a guy signed into his late thirties or early forties, you're kind of playing with fire. Y- Yamamoto is twenty five. You can sign that guy for a ten year deal, and he is yours he's 35 when that deal is over if he is the pitcher we believe he can be that is a deal worth doing um and fortunately by all accounts it doesn't sound like 10 years is something he's interested in maybe more like six or seven and he can then go to the well again when he's 31 or 32 as we've seen a lot of these free agents we're about to talk about are around that age themselves so he's going to get paid and i i think the red Sox need to be aggressive and go get him as far as the the second one um i don't i i like nola i don't know if i'm as high on the other free agents um you know you know eddie rodriguez we would be I guess I don't hate that idea, but I don't, I don't know. I've kind of feel like we've kind of been there, done that with him. Um, I don't, I don't, Blake Snell has, doesn't have the track record of consistent uh, durability that I think the Red Sox need. You know, he's, he's put up a lot of innings. He's I mean, obviously a Cy Young favorite this year, um, but you know, a lot of, you know, times in the past, he's either broken down or just not pitched as many innings as you want to see. Um you know, and, and like Jordan Montgomery is another guy I like, but 
you know, Jim Bowden published that column kind of estimating guys' salaries. I was surprised to see that he's projected Jordan Montgomery is getting a bigger deal than Nola, which, you know, struck me as interesting because, uh, you know, Nola has certainly got a longer track record of higher level success, even though Montgomery has been outstanding recently. Um, yeah, I think that some of that's where it is. It, it, it's, it is very interesting with Nola because when you look at the numbers, he's he has the, the ace reputation, but he's more of a number three starter. But Montgomery, he's never made an all-star team or anything like that. He really bolstered his value with what he did with Texas and, you know, after the trade and in the playoffs. But... It's it's the name brand versus the the the, the short memory, you know. Right. Um, you know, I, I think I'd love the if the Red Sox could get him, but I don't know if I go crazy about the you know if we're talking five years, like 125 million. You know, that's not too far off from what sales extension was. So that's a big commitment. Um, I do like the idea of swinging a trade. I think if you're going to break the bank for Yamamoto, then the best way to maximize the rotation is to tap into some of this farm system depth that the Red Sox have built up and go out and get a Corbin Burns. That's that's the guy I kind of like the idea of getting best, but I, I'm willing to entertain. When, when it comes to trades, you guys know, like sometimes the best trades are the ones that you just never see coming. Like you'll just, all of a sudden there'll be a report of so-and-so is, you know, being traded to this team. And you're like, like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then you think about it some more and you're like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Why? And no one speculated it up until that very moment. So um, Burns is the, like, we'll, we'll just say Burns is maybe the name I like, but I think just trade for a good starting pitcher to be determined, I think is the a good option to kind of take. I think they should do one of each because, you know, if you sign two free agents, you're, you're basically spending like, I don't know, $400 million on two arms where you trade for somebody, you you know, presumably that guy's going to be a little bit, won't be as expensive in terms of the money and allows you the flexibility to fill those holes elsewhere. So I had a question just pivoting off of pitching, but we saw quite a few young position players come up and make their debut this past year. Um, you know, we had a Brayu obviously that did well. We had Rafaela, we had David Hamilton and Manuel Valdez. Um, which of those guys do you see getting consistent playing time in the MLB. And then for the ones that aren't, what do you do with them? So of the guys who came up at the end of last year, I like Willier Abreu a lot. Um, funny, he's like kind of the most unheralded of that whole group in terms of prospect rankings. But I, I really liked his like his game. I mean, that combination of power, plate discipline, and arm strength in right field, you know, he, he doesn't have any like big weaknesses in his game. He's very well-rounded, but his tools that like, he has a couple of elite tools on top of that. Um, every time we asked Alex Cora about Willie Abreu, he raved about him. It was just like, man, this guy's good. This guy's good. I talked to Rob Refsnyder at one point and just kind of, you know, doing a little feature on, on him and unsolicited. He was like, yeah, I think that guy could be our leadoff hitter next year. So I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I think, I think you know, with the outfield situation being perhaps, uh, you know, more in flux than the infield, which is a little bit more set in stone by comparison, I'm interested in the possibility that Abreu could play a decent role, if not a big role on next year's team. You know, the other guys like Valdez, I think could be, you know, depending on what the, what else the Red Sox do, he could be the starting second baseman and maybe he could do a pretty good job. The defense has to get better. You know, not a very good defensive you know, anything right now, but that's fine. He's young. He can, 
presumably try to work on that. Um, Sedan Rafaela, obviously unbelievable defensive like talent, great base runner. You know, the the, the holes in his swing are real. Um, it's not a coincidence that he started last season in Double A. It's very likely he'll start next season in the minors. We'll sort of see how he does. Um, you know, and then. There's all, you know, all the other guys kind of coming up through the system. They're a little bit further away, but uh, I like Abreu a lot. I, I'm super excited to see kind of how he sticks next year. Of that group of guys, which do you think is the most likely to get traded? Um, and we can go through the whole outfield with that, honestly, because I think Alex Verdugo is somebody that's a candidate for it as well. But, you know, Jared Duran, Alex Verdugo. Sadon Rafaelia, William Abreu. I can't imagine all four of them being on the team next year. If you if you had to if you had to bet which I guess the two do you think would, are the most likely to get traded? Uh, well, Verdugo obviously the most likely just because of his situation. Yeah, that's he's, why I uh, said two. <laughs> he's he's in obviously uh, entering his uh, walk year. He is, you know, I think kind of in a similar place as where Andrew Benintendi was, where you kind of have to make a decision is this a guy we're going to invest in long term and verdugo for you know there's a lot of people who kind of you know maybe not a lot of people there are some fans who kind of hate on verdugo and you know the, his, the fact that he was in the movie bets trade i think has to do with this too like people talk about you know oh you know verdugo sucks no he, he doesn't suck he's a he's a, a quality starting outfielder and those are valuable he's a gold glove finalist he is a, a, a doubles machine he's we've seen at his best he's a very well-rounded and talented player he he's um he is good to have around but is he more? Can he be great? That's the question we've been asking ever since we, he got here. And at this point, I think it's safe to say that if he does have another gear, it's debatable whether or not he can tap into it. Whereas before, you maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. He is, I think, I think would be worth trading at this point because he he is valuable. He is a good player. You can get something good for him. But I I have a hard time seeing the Red Sox extending him at this point. Um, and then beyond that, I guess if you're going to trade a second person, um, Duran would probably make the most sense because he is super, you know, the speed is real. You know, the, the doubles, he basically just like turns anything that's even kind of into the gap into a double. I mean, he, he would command, um, you know, after the season he just had, he, he's, he would get fetch a very, very good solid return. So, um, you know, because, you know, Yoshida is more expensive. I, I doubt, you know, Duran would probably be more valuable to another team than Yoshida. And um, the prospects are just too, you know, they're unproven. I think we'll, we'll see, you know, maybe, maybe they get, to, I don't want to rule out that possibility, but, you know, I'm not trying to trade the whole Red Sox outfield, but yeah, Verdugo would be the most likely. And then we'll, we'll see about the rest. So I had a question and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I, Saw an article written by a fellow Boston media member, Chris Cotillo. I think he dropped it yesterday. Um, and it was kind of interesting. He was, he was kind of looking at like what they might do for free agency non-pitching wise. And so he brought up points on them not really prioritizing certain positions because of the guys they have down in the minors. Um, do you see them just like maybe not looking for, you know, a, a catcher or, um, even like a middle infielders with Marcel Meyer and double a, like, do you think that's going to be at all factor into their decisions on who they add on the hitting side of things? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, with catcher, I think yeah, Cotillo is written a couple uh, position pieces. Uh, one was catcher, I believe. The other was second base or the infield more generally. Um, catcher, I don't expect them to do anything. Um, they have no reason to. Uh, Connor Wong just had a had a terrific season for, especially considering what the expectations coming in were. Uh, Reese McGuire as a like you know your backup catcher is fine. You know he's arbitration eligible this season. I think he's projected to get like less than 2 million. So, you know, he's worth 1.7, something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, Kyle Teal is possibly going to maybe even be ready at the end of next season. If not, then by certainly the, you know, 2025. So there's no, there's no need to bring in any other catchers They're They're good there. Uh, Infield is interesting. Um, They're in kind of a similar spot as they've been, as they were previously at first base while we were kind of waiting for Tristan Casas to make his way up. But the problem that they did that, situation was they had a hole an obvious hole at first base and they just refused to to fill it and because they didn't want to block Cassis and the red the team suffered for two years because of it like Bobby Dahlbeck just you know it, it just it didn't work like you know he he was a it, the, the holes in his swing were exposed for two seasons Franchi Cordero it didn't that that didn't work you know the defense was almost as bad as the offense so I worry that with second base they may fall into a similar uh, pitfall because they won't sign a long-term guy like that's they have so many they have so much talent in the middle infield coming up it would be crazy to you know sign somebody to a four or five year deal but I think they should sign somebody to a one-year deal because um, Pablo Reyes you don't know if you're going to have a season like that from him again you know he was in the Oakland A's minor league system you know he's stuck in the Oakland A's farm system for a reason you know uh, Luis Urias is probably going to get non-tendered just because he's more expensive than he's probably worth and Valdez, you know, the, the defense issues I, I mentioned, like, I think, uh, you know, Cotillo mentioned Whit Merrifield, I believe. And that's, uh, that was a name I, I think get my colleague Gabrielle and I floated in our, uh, point counterpoint last week. Um, same logic, you know, one year deal, maybe, I don't know, 10 million, something like that. That's a guy who can help you next year and he won't mess up things in the future. You know, you can let Marcella Meyer, whoever develop at their own pace. Um, but right-handed bat, he can play outfield fast. Yeah. I mean, there are dimensions that he adds that this team could use. I think I think Merrifield would be a perfect fit, honestly. I, I agree. I, I'd love to see that. Um, but if not him specifically, they could possibly trade for a guy in a similar a similar type of guy too. But you know, just they they gotta they just gotta stop with the whole punting on positions and just sort of, you know, well, we got the prospects coming up. We don't want to mess. No, you, you gotta field a major league team, and that means having major league players at every position. And yeah, I, I I don't know if I love their situation at second base as it stands now. So I would like to see them do something there. As far as a uh, right-handed bat goes, they've, they're potentially losing two guys in Adam Duvall and Justin Turner. But we've seen Justin Turner has been around quite a bit on social media. He was going candlepin bowling. Um, he, you know, was taking video of him in Ken Kenmore Square. Do you think that there's a real chance that they bring him back if the price is right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They love him. I mean, he, he was... Uh had a terrific season, you know, however, you know, as old as he is, that that dude can still ball. I mean, he played second. He was like arguably their best defensive second baseman. A couple of times they put him out there. Um, 
his situation is just fascinating because like he has the way his contract is structured it'd be crazy for him not to opt to decline his player option because he gets a a 6.7 million dollar buyout and then obviously he'll get more than 7 million for like on the open market i mean after the season he just had that's kind of a no-brainer so uh i could absolutely see the red sox bringing him back you know maybe uh 10 12 year excuse me 10 or 12 million dollar i I like 12 12 years i let him play till he's in his 60s it's fine yeah i mean i don't know maybe uh you know a a 10 to 12 million dollar per year deal some i don't know i don't think it would be prohibitively expensive and if there's an old guy you want to invest in that's the kind of guy you want i mean the guy didn't show any signs of slowing down uh but obviously there are drawbacks you know bringing him aboard means that you have less flexibility to you know kind of tweak you know tinker with your lineup you're by definition you're going to have a worse defensive lineup just because maybe inferior defensive players are going to be in the field more often that's something we saw a lot last season so it's not a no-brainer but i do think that the i do think it would make a lot of sense to bring him back and uh i think if the the price is right i think the red sox would you know get it done well that, that's that's what i'm going to be very interested in watching for sure now you you touched on this a little earlier um but i i wanted to dive in a little farther on this um you had mentioned possibly that you know we have no idea what Brazil's going to do and how aggressive he's going to be when he takes over but i want your gut opinion on this so do you think that he is going to dip into the farm system and make a few deals in the coming weeks? I do. I do. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know how long it'll take. Uh, might, you know, might be a couple more like December, maybe before the trade market really picks up steam. But uh, Craig Breslow is a very smart guy, and he also spent a lot of time in major league clubhouses, so he knows how he knows how this all goes. Um, you know, the not an apples to apples comparison, but we recently saw Brad Stevens move from the coach's bench to the front office with the Celtics. What he has shown no hesitancy whatsoever to swing big deals and shake things up because he knows kind of the dynamic of that locker room. He lived at the lived in it for you know for a long time. Breslow, I do believe, will understand that a trade isn't just the sum of its parts. You know, you, you bring in a big guy, it can have a cascading effect and tell your guy, tell your team like, Hey, we, we believe in you. This is we're we're going to get you the guys who can help make this thing happen. Um, and uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I think it'll be very exciting. It's uh, like I said before, you know, some fans have kind of come to expect a certain Red Sox approach. And when the moment Breslow does something unexpected, and bold and exciting the red sox like every the whole vibe around the red sox is going to change and I, i'm very excited to sort of see when it happens and with whom i think it's going to be very that'll be it'll be a lot of fun it'll be a good day on red sox twitter that's for sure <laughs> is it ever a good day on red sox twitter like come on this has been be. a while let's be honest <laughs> yeah i think for some people it was a good day when bloom uh bloom got cut people I, I saw some people that are usually very unhappy, very angry that we're celebrating that. So, well, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> naturally. Um, so little, little different question here, but we've talked about the, the, the prospects of the system a bit, specifically Kyle Teal, but there are the, the two other guys that we talk about a lot on this show. 
Marcelo Meyer, and Roman Anthony. Of those three, which one would you predict makes their MLB debut first? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, I know. it's There's a lot of possibilities for it, and I'll tell you my answer, but I want to hear what you think. So uh, I would eliminate Roman Anthony. Um, I think he is, has uh, – um, he's – amazingly talented unbelievably high ceiling i think he's probably at least another year away i think 2025 is a more realistic time frame um that being said i you know he's flown through the ranks so i don't want to necessarily foreclose that possibility i I think uh, of the two i I think kyle teal i think might have the best chance to come up first um he's older um he's kind of more seasoned, the most seasoned of the bunch. Uh, and, he, and he plays a position of need. I mean, you could make the case that by July or August, maybe the Red Sox decide, hey, you know what? We don't really need to keep Reese McGuire around anymore. Let's trade him and uh, get just get Teal up here. I, I wouldn't rule that out. Uh, that being said, you could say the same with Meyer. Like for his stats this past season, I don't think you can really pay you know pay them any mind. He, he was playing through a shoulder injury basically since early May. And um you know, before that happened, he was hitting the daylights out of the ball. And even after it happened, uh, you know, all the intangibles, all the fielding, kind of everything else besides what was happening at the plate was great. Um, so I, I think that both of those guys, I think both of them will make their debuts next season. Um, but I think if I were to pick between Meyer or Teal, I think Teal gets called up first. And then, I mean, it could be a matter of days. Like it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if they both came up together, to be honest. I completely agree with you on teal and not even just because they might be like you know he's so much better than mcguire let's just dump him we saw what happened when reese mcguire got hurt for a month last year and they brought up uh jorge alfaro and caleb hamilton and one of them could hit but couldn't really play defense one of them could play defense one of them but not really hit you don't have a lot of options and teal is both he he can he seems to be able to hit. I mean, he's in double A, so we don't know how that's going to translate over. But we've seen the defense. We've seen the arm on that kid. They have that already. Yeah. So it makes the most sense that if somebody gets hurt. And catchers, it's not easy to stay healthy when you're a catcher. I have no idea how Connor Wong got into 22, 23 straight games last year. That was that was pretty nuts. So it makes the most sense for me that Teal would get the shot, the chance first. But if Meyer goes nuts in spring training, they the plan going into the season is to start in Manuel Valdez at second base or somebody like that. And he just does so well. You, you can't deny what he's doing. Like Anthony Volpe did. Maybe he's the shortstop and they put story at second base. Yeah. I I don't think I, that that's likely by the I, way. I, I don't I, think that that's likely at all. Yeah. I wouldn't rule that out, but I, I don't see that happening to be honest. I think after after Marcelo had that injury, I think they really want him to get some at bats. Um, yeah, I I think I mean I wouldn't I me mean, he could start the year at AAA. I mean, if in the situation you're describing, if he has a monster spring training, I, I w- could see them maybe just pushing pushing him up straight to to Worcester. But no, I, I yeah, the Volpe situation was kind of unique too because like you know they 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 put him right in as their starting shortstop and they knew he'd be the guy the red Sox have trevor story so like you know at that point not only is like you know marcella meyer like do we want to put him on the big league roster or are we going to play him at second base or you know bump story to you know it's it's a little bit more complex um a great problem to have though i think the red Sox would love to have to have to make that decision if it came to it but 
yeah, no, I, I think um, Meyer Meyer is not starting the season in the majors. At least it would be pretty surprising if he if he didn't if he did rather. So I want to turn things to the pitching side, and I'm I'm curious on this because I feel like a lot of people have a lot of different answers for this question. But um, who is the number one pitching prospect that's in the minors right now that you would be most excited to see? Um, so kind of the, the guys, the consensus right now, uh, Wickelman, Gonzalez, Luis Perales, those two guys seem like they're kind of the, the main two guys to watch. Um, Wickelman's interesting. He, uh, you know, really didn't have a great start to the season, but just was a strikeout machine. And by like the second half, you know, I think he, he, he found something and really kind of t- t- turned it up a notch. Um, you know, Shane Drohan had a great start, but really kind of fell off at the end too. Um, beyond that, a lot of the guys who they have who are really interesting are a little bit further away. Um, yeah, it's funny, like, you know, all these guys that we heard coming up, like, they're kind of already there, right? Like, you know, Bayo was the guy and now he is the guy, you know, Whitlock and Hauk have sort of, they've been in the majors for a couple of years, but it's, there isn't really as much there as far as starters go. A lot of the really interesting guys are the relievers. Like, you know, Luis Guerrero was, wow, what a kind of impressive kind of, you know, impressive season he had, you know, um, Brian Mata, by the way, another guy who sort of was one of the really highly touted guys. I, I feel like, his future is as a reliever and I, I love the idea of him as a reliever i mean that stuff is filthy the the command is woof so you know at some point or another he needs to start getting results but um yeah you know what the, the, here's the beautiful thing about craig breslow that guy turned the cubs into from one of the worst pitching factories into one of the best and that, that didn't just happen just by drafting guys i mean they took guys who were nobodies and turned them into to dudes so I think it'll be really fascinating to see kind of who goes from just, you know, a name on a list, a name on a roster to, oh my gosh, have you seen what this guy's doing? And uh, it'll obviously it'll be a little bit of time. Maybe it might not even happen until late next season, if not early the following year, but that's going to be a uh, really exciting. <laughs> that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see, to see like, you know, who, who steps up that we don't see coming now. Cause that's, I think the, the best Red Sox pitching prospect might be a guy. Nobody really knows at this point. I mean, you know, Wickelman maybe is the, and Luis Perales are the two most famous guys, but nobody knew Brian Bayo until he like, popped off either so we'll yeah, there's always the chance he can turn Shane Drohead into Justin Steele or somebody like that too somebody yeah, that, that that'd be nice <laughs> maybe, has been, maybe has been a little left for dead because I don't think anybody expected Steele to break out to the extent that he has in the last couple of years um, but I, I have a question that's also about pitching and it, it has to do with the back end of the rotation for the Red Sox because we talked earlier about how they need two starters but those are two frontline starters I think the back of the rotation, if anything, they might have too much depth there because you have Bayo, he's fine as a number three. Put Chris Sale as your number four, he'll get hurt eventually, maybe. But, you know, like he's a veteran that you you feel comfortable with when he's healthy. They have four potential number five starters Cutter Crawford, Nick Pavetta, Tanner Houck. And if you want to try him in the rotation again, I don't at this point. There's Garrett Whitlock also. Now, personally, I think that Nick Pavetta has earned that number five spot in the rotation. Cutter Crawford has too. I much prefer Hauk being in the pen. I much prefer Whitlock being in the pen. 
But there can only be one number five starter. So you're going into opening day. Let's say they get Yamamoto. They trade for Burns. So we know who the first four are going to be. Who do you pick to be the number five? Um, well, out of those four, I th- I'd say, yeah, Pavetta would be the favorite in the clubhouse to earn that spot. But I think it would be really fun to just let have, you know, those four guys be like, all right, here, four guys, one spot, best man wins, spring training, go, and have like a real hardcore spring training position battle. You know, How think- crazy would that be, having that on Nessing? Like, you actually have something to watch in spring training midway through it. And that isn't, you know, you know like, because the first week, it's always super exciting for spring training, and then you lose interest. But how fun would that be? It would be time? great. and But you know, honestly, it would be great for all of them, too, because, you know, those guys all believe themselves to be starters. They all have said so. They all have... You know, pretty much that's kind of, you know, if you ask them like that's that's you know, to a man, all of them will say no, like that's that's what I want to do. And it's like, you know what? Time to time to put up or shut up. All right. You have an opportunity. Go out and take it. And that'll make all four of them better. Now, obviously, only one of them would win the competition. But then the other three guys, presumably two, you know, two of them would probably go to the bullpen. Maybe one of them might become sort of the the long man or, or you could see some, you could see somebody go to AAA. That's on the table, too. Or maybe somebody gets traded in the offseason. Honestly, I think this team needs a little bit more competition like that. And it's good for everybody. Um so, yeah, I think, yeah, if I was to predict right now who I think would win that competition, yeah, I think Pavetta would be the favorite. But, yeah, I think um, competition could do some interesting things. You know, let's see, like, you know, Tanner Houck maybe is Cutter Crawford, one of those guys, just has that dog in him. They just, all right, all right let's go. Let's, uh, let's, it'll be, I, that's something I, that's the other reason I think it'd be so important to get two new starters is that if, people feel comfortable they're not going to improve so then you know we're just going to get more of the same and it's not yeah, like I, everyone's going to stay healthy for the whole season either so if you can prove that you can start in spring trading well somebody goes down chris sale gets inevitably hurt one of the new guys inevitably gets hurt because it's a long season mm-hmm. doesn't hurt to doesn't hurt to have that to have them know what you can do in that role yeah and having that depth helps you know if if you know, Cutter Crawford, I don't think was necessarily, you know, all spring training, we had like seven starters for five spots. How are they going to figure it out? And then Cutter Crawford ends up basically immediately becoming one of the regular starters. You never, you never know. You can never have too much pitching, but if you do have quote unquote too much pitching, then yeah, I think ultimately you want, you want to make sure that your guy, you know, whoever kind of takes that number. If, if the Red, if you know, if things go according to plan, like the Red Sox could have like the the best number five starter in baseball, like that's on the table, you know, like you know, a guy, a guy who arguably was their number two last year, Nick Pavetta, was you know could be their number five. It's not a bad spot to be in. Yeah, and um, I, I, so I was kind of listening to um, you earlier, and you were kind of saying that uh, a lot of the guys like say they our starters. And I remember Tanner Houck was rehabbing down in Worcester this past year. And he was just like, yeah, I'm a starter. Like that's, this is what I want to do. So I feel like they're all like, okay, we're all, we all want to be in the starting rotation, but there's not nine spots. So I want that position battle thing to happen so bad. I feel like you have that in every other sport. You have that in like football, like where training camp battles, like people are battling for wide receiver two or whatever. It's like, I want that for the rotation. I don't think it's going to happen, but um, it would be cool. 
Um, I want to dive in next topic here. So I know you uh, at the beginning of the show, you kind of said the off season was a little boring, not much going on, but what do you have planned uh, this off season? Are you, uh, are you doing like GM meetings, winter meetings, you going to spring training, anything like that? Yes. Yes. So um, I, I'll, I will be at the winter meetings. Uh, Gabrielle and I will both be at spring training. Uh, I think, well, you know, we, I don't think they've even announced when spring trade, like when pitchers and catchers report. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll both be down there for probably a, a week plus each. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, but other than that, I mean, I think, um, you know, I expect I'll be at Fenway for the the press conferences when they announce the various, uh, uh, free agent trades and stuff. Although actually funny story, I, I actually won't be able to make it to Craig Breslow tomorrow because, um, my, my 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 little guy my toddler months ago scheduled a, a minor procedure nothing nothing to worry about no big deal i schedule it for tomorrow morning well go figure the one <laughs> yeah. of all the days the big press conference to introduce the new chief baseball officer could have been is is t- tomorrow morning so it's like all right so um gabrielle will be representing the the herald for that and i'll uh i'll probably hit up craig afterwards and introduce myself or something but yeah, no, it's going to be, I, I'm looking forward to it, man. I think um, the off season can be so much fun. Um, my first off season covering the Red Sox was the um, lockout off season. So that, that was, that was a real drag. Um, so last year was a lot of fun. It was kind of, you know, getting to kind of experience the process as it's actually supposed to be without COVID, without labor disputes, without trying to brush up on my, you know, antitrust law, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, just dive into the baseball like we're supposed to, you know. Doesn't that feel like it was 20 years ago when the lockout happened and every? I feel like I'm like, holy cow, that was literally less than two years ago. Um, Dude, sometimes I think back and I'm just like, yeah, wow, it feels like just yesterday it was like, you know, 2018 because like, you know, it doesn't feel that long ago. And that's like, oh, yeah, no, it's been five, six years. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I feel like also the COVID aspect too. Like I, um, I, I, I always joke with my fiance about it and I'm just like, I feel like we've been together for like 10 years right now. And it's like, we've been together for like a little under four, but it's like COVID felt like it added like six years onto it. So I'm like, I feel like that was like 10 years ago. I met you, but um, same Seriously. with baseball. I think we, it's funny uh, because I think we met our fiances at about the same time and have been together for about the same amount of time and got engaged at about the same amount of time, which is kind of interesting, but that's weird. Yeah. It, it, but, but that you're, you're absolutely right that that COVID period just when you're spending time with pretty much just that one person, you really get to know them. It's a real thing, man. It is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like we, uh, I mean, we kind of joke and we're like, we, you know, COVID was the reason why we're probably getting married. Cause we just spent every day together. We went on our first date a month before the world shut down. So or oh, it, was no. like, it was like two months. Um, so it was good timing. Right. So, um, all right, Ed, what are you emptying the bench here? What do you have? Okay. Last question. I'm going to do a trivia question for you, Mac. I'm going to test your Red Sox knowledge because I know um, you're, you're, you grew up a big Red Sox fan, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay, so the most recent Red Sox player to win the batting t- uh, the AL batting title was Mookie Betts in 2018. Prior to that, the last person had won it in 2003. But over that course, five it, it, from 2003 to 1999, four of the five batting champions were Red Sox. 
who were those batting champions? Say that again, please. Okay. So there were, okay, basically Mookie Betts was the last Red Sox player to win a batting yes. title. Right. Prior to that, the last batting title that a Red Sox player won was in 2003. Yes. And following still. Yes. During that period from, 2000, it was 1999 until 2003, there were five batting champions. Um, well, actually, technically there were four because two of these batting champions were the same person. Yeah. But four of the five batting titles were won by Red Sox. Okay. Uh, one of them was a repeat. Yes. Name the three Red Sox that won batting titles in those years. Okay. Uh, Nomar? Yep. Bill Miller. Okay. So those are the two easy ones. Um, yep. Okay, did did Manny win one? You got it. All right, there you we go. You got it. That is correct. In 1999, Nomar hit, I believe it was, that was his 355 season. Then he did it again the next year. He hit 372. Then Manny Ramirez in 2002, there was a little bit of a break while I, for Ichiro to win the batting title. Right. But then right. Manny Ramirez in 2002 hit 349. And then Bill Miller batting mostly out of the number eight spot, hit 326 to win the batting title. Manny was actually the runner-up. He almost did back-to-backs like Nomar. He lost it by one point, 326 to 325. I thought you were just about to ask me. It's just like, yeah, so Mookie Betts was the last batting title. Who was the one before that? I was like, I'll get this in like two seconds. That would have been too easy. That would have been too easy. No, no, no. We need need Nomar and Manny too. You know, you were expecting the fastball. You got the curveball, but you hit the curveball out of the park. So great, great job there, Mac. That's That's a pro. Thank you. We uh, we missed out on giving him a trivia question that the answer was Brian Daubach because that that's my guy. So I feel like I feel like we need to get a trivia question that will resolve that one. answer. Yeah. How about which, I don't know which Red Sox. Andrew, no, I, I've problem. got one. I've got oh, one. Now, which okay. Red Sox player waved to me in two, in the year two thousand or twenty one when I was at a game while he was in the batting in the on Dexter? That was Daubach. I, that's the okay, only thing I was going to say. I know I know it's Daubach, but like it would have been funnier if the answer was Carl Everett. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been, I think that might've been more of a headbutt than a, uh, <laughs> than a Oh, there's a Jurassic Carl. There's a, there's a character <laughs> in the game. I'll tell you what, man, I, I did meet Brian Dahlbach this year in Worcester um, when he was in town coaching for the opposing team. And that guy is incredible. So uh, he's a St. Louis guy, just like myself. So it nice. was, uh, it was good to get to actually like talk to him. I had his literal picture autograph photo on my wall, like when I was like six years old, because my dad like got it for me. And uh, Brian Dahlbach was my favorite player of all time. You could have told me when I was six years old that like Dahlbach was what Nomar was in Boston. I'd have been like, I don't care. Like Brian Dahlbach's my guy. You guys can have Nomar. So um, I don't know. Small world. But but Mac, um, we appreciate the time. You've given us 46 minutes of your time here. Um, definitely got a world series game to, to watch. It could be the last one, then the real off season starts. So, but we thank you for the time and, and joining us. Of course. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it was great meeting both of you guys in Worcester. Looking forward to hopefully seeing you guys, uh, down at Polar Park a bunch more next year too. Absolutely. Well, uh, oh, yeah. Ed, um, definitely going to see him next year and, uh, thank you for listening.